How did Gymshark win 2020? Consumer research. They worked with a test to learn more about their audience's changing habits, then pivoted their business to meet those needs. Visit askatest.com slash D2C and use fast, accurate consumer research to get ahead. It's growth without guesswork. There's never been a better time to be a direct-to-consumer business. Join us as we uncover the strategies and scaling secrets of the world's most disruptive brands and agencies. This is DTC Podcast. Hello and welcome to the D2C Podcast. Today, we are very lucky to have Jeremy King, the founder and CEO of Attest, a company reimagining the $80 billion field of customer research. Today, we're diving into the state of customer research, providing some insights about how companies can scale and get better, uh, more relevant data to help grow their brands. We'll also dig into Attest's recently published uh, quarterly D2C Digest, where they've used their platform to survey consumers to discover emerging trends and evolving attitudes about e-commerce, retail, and D2C experiences. Welcome to the D2C podcast, Jeremy. Can we start with the origin story of a test and how you came to see the need for this particular platform? Happily. Excited to be here. and Thank you for having me. Well, the, the origin of a test really has three parts, and it's to a degree, it's my story as well. So part one is I'm originally a, a scientist. I worked in what's now called synthetic biology, measuring animal behavior. I did a lot of work on how baby reef fish grow up and it's all driven by sound. Deep down, I have this big passion for empiricism, the scientific method, constantly testing, learning, discovering, following threads of ideas. This is how science works. And I think this is how business should work. Part two, I spent nine years working at McKinsey, which is a big strategy consulting company. I worked in over 25 different countries, pretty much every sector, always huge opportunities that we had to go, had to build or things that were going horribly wrong that we had to fix. But always in there, there was this missing piece. It was really easy to understand the customers you've got. It's really easy to understand your market and your finances and how you're performing. What's hard for some reason that still is unclear to me was understanding the customers you don't have yet, the ones that you need to know, the ones that hold your next wave of growth, the ones that choose your competitors and you never know why. They're not in your CRM. They aren't talking to you on social. They don't buy your product and that's why you don't know them. For some reason, unlocking that insight and that ability was incredibly hard, particularly in one to three month long projects for these high priority or high emergency situations. And I thought there must be a better way. Part three, I looked at, as you mentioned, an $80 billion market that hasn't changed for a long time. I thought, herein lies a great opportunity to build a SaaS business that makes this thing that everybody wants the second thing that I personally care about the first thing really, really easy. And if we could therefore use a SaaS business model, take that idea, give it to more people to solve more problems more often, many great propositions, D2C, all sorts of consumer ideas would come into existence and suddenly have this insight they never had before. And that would be a really valuable thing to do and also a great thing to do. And here we are five years later, all sorts of exciting clients, all sorts of exciting companies, all sorts of fun data to talk about. And that's why we're here and that's the fun of it. Um, we exist to inform every intuition and dissolve any doubt. And that's what we do with our clients. They all have intuitions they want to pursue and doubts they want to dissolve. And that's what a test gives them data to inform their best ideas and to help them act with boldness. And that's really, really exciting for us. I love it. Like, 
uh, so it's, I, it blew me away that it was an eighty billion dollar industry. You know, my, my exposure to to customer research is you know probably most through shows like Mad Men, where you 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 know sometimes people are watching people through two way mirrors, and it's these big elaborate setups where you've got you know real physical people in a place. They're being asked questions by someone you know maybe in a lab coat or something. What like I, one of the things that I'm trying to get to here is that I, I I think the big the big evolution of of the service is I think the speed that you're able to get this data with. Can you talk a little bit about how customer research has traditionally been done and how you've applied it to, to your product? Happily. And I, I think you look at shows like Mad Men where they do the one-way mirror thing, they do focus groups. It's a great way to learn about a small number of people in quite a weird environment. You also see on shows like Shark Tank in the US or Dragon's Den in the UK, every pitch starts with, I did some research and 17% of people are unhappy with their hair care products. And like everything starts with a piece of research, a piece of privileged insight. Every great business idea starts that way. That's often what creates value for a business. So everyone really, whether they know it or not, wants to do more research, they want more data. And our job at a test is to make it ridiculously easy to start. Speed is important because no one wants to wait to get research and data. Speed by itself is not particularly useful. Speed is only useful when it allows you to iterate. So the way that works with our clients is they have 20 random ideas this morning and they're kind of wondering which ones have legs, which ones is there difference in different markets, in different age groups, in different demographics, in different segments. Will this idea that worked in Canada, will that work in France? Will this idea that worked for are really hardcore fans who are all, you know, 40 to 50 year olds. Will it work for 60 plus? Will it work for under 40? Let's find out which ideas. And that means you can triage it down very quickly. These are our top three ideas. What if we combine ideas one and three? What if we discover that none of them work in Sweden? We better do something with that. That's why speed is useful so that you can iterate. And that's kind of acting like a scientist. To answer your question, the way this used to work is you would write often in Microsoft Word or an email, a brief, send it to a whole bunch of different market research agencies. They do a wonderful job. They'll send you back a quote, a bit like talking to a law firm. Um, they'll then run the project for you, give you some data, and it will be very beautifully branded, very beautifully run. And that process actually works really nicely. That's the $80 billion industry right there. Um, you know, that's 33% larger than video games, almost twice as large as hamburgers. That is a big market. And there's lots of people paying a lot of money to get that. The problem is you have to know what you want at the end, at the beginning. And when it takes one to three to six months to start and then evolve these things, if you're a fast moving business like a D2C company, that doesn't help you. You don't, you don't know what you need to know tomorrow. I really don't know what I need to know today. I definitely don't know what I need to know three months from now. And that means that this whole process is not very useful to me. It's also quite inflexible and expensive. Once you start it, it's going, it's kind of on rails. You can't change it. What you learn at the end can't help you along the way. And because it's expensive, you only get one shot. Even the biggest companies can only do this a few times a year because it is very labor intensive and very capital expensive. Put all that together, it means that most people don't do market research. They can't do the Shark Tank thing. They can't do the Mad Men thing. They can't inform their intuitions or dissolve their doubts. They're prevented. Um, 
And we like to say 99% of people aren't professional researchers, but they kind of wish they could do more research. That's why a test is here to fill that gap, to make it easy to start, fast to complete, therefore easy to repeat and iterate because that's how modern businesses work. And we have lots of lovely DTC clients and that's what they enjoy. And that's what we love doing with them. I love it. It's and again, like we're always talking with D2C brands who go to great uh, efforts to understand their their customers. You know, sending surveys, having you know personal conversations, getting on the phone, understanding why people love the product. But again, you're only going to get the people that have already been attracted to your product. And I think the beauty of what of what you're doing is again, it's that big undiscovered market that that doesn't know your product. It's you can really find things that that trigger them into into being interested. Do you have any examples of of D2C brands? Uh, you don't have to get you. You know, specifically give the brand, but but maybe the space and 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 just to give people an idea of the kinds of insights that people are getting uh, from your platform that have allowed them to take action and, and scale their sales. Yeah, let's pick three. And you know, to your to your example, they're often surprising as well. So I'll I'll start with Little Moons. It's a company in Europe that makes ice cream mochi balls. Really cool product. Um, they had this huge explosion in their TikTok traffic in January, February, so much that they stocked out completely on Amazon. Every retailer, you couldn't get these cool mochi balls. People on TikTok were kind of taking a bite out of one vanilla one, one chocolate one, smush them together, talk about the amazing combination that makes it so evocative. But what Little Moon's discovered is that those people who are those fans, who they're reaching on social, who are writing them and saying, I love your content, it's amazing. Those aren't the buyers. The buyers are someone else. The buyers who are actually paying money, who will buy this every month, every fortnight, every week, the people who are gonna do this more often, aren't the ones who are making all the noise. It's a completely different set. I won't talk about which set, um, but they discovered, to your exact point, the fans aren't the money. The money is somewhere else. And like, you have to build the fans to get the awareness, to get the money. But the money was a completely different set of segments. And it's through consumer research, through companies um, with clients like that with a test that you can discover these things. Who is the real buyer? And that you need to build the coolness to influence that target market. And then the target market will love it forever. There's a business where it used to just be a cool fact. That's sustainability and that's really cool. Another one is um, Bloom and Wild. They put flowers in your letterbox, lovely DTC company, classic subscription model. They're trying to convert you to get regular flower deliveries, to give flower deliveries to other people. One-off subscriptions, goes to your letterbox, lovely supply chain optimization, brilliant brand. They wanted to do something splashy. So Valentine's Day, big, big day for them. And in Europe, at least, very traditional to give red roses at Valentine's Day, usually from men to women, very stereotypical, very classical, kind of an old school thing. And they came up with this idea because their brand stands for authentically making the best of every occasion. I've paraphrased it there very badly. Sorry, guys. Um, they, they, Because they want to make these occasions special, they realized that they thought red roses, red roses were kind of past. It was gone. It was a bad idea to send red roses. And they tested this intuition in a test and they found out that huge volumes of consumers agreed. Women hated to receive red roses. They saw it as kind of a boring choice, a default choice, a last minute choice. It's almost worse to receive red roses than nothing in some cases. Mm. Men admitted that. They just thought, you know what, when I give red roses, it's because I'm a bit lazy. It's a bit last minute. It's kind of default and I'll spend 50 bucks to tick a box and remove a problem, done. Bloom and Wild, 
took that intuition, added some information from a test to like really take it to the max and understand this. And then they thought, how bold can we be? They had some doubt, how far can we take this? And they took it to the extent that they actually stopped selling red roses completely. The most counterintuitive thing ever, the number one seller, the most obvious choice product, all the way D to C through your letterbox to all of your friends and family, there's your red roses. They banned it. People loved it. They had a four times year on year increase in Valentine's Day sales and a 51% uplift in share of media voice just by taking this idea, informing it with data, then having the confidence to dissolve the doubt by really homing what they were doing. And that led them to this choice. And it was the most counterintuitive thing. And look at the results. Fantastic. Listeners, take note. Mother's Day is around the corner. I, I read <laughs> roses are not always the best choice for Mother's Day anyway, but that is super interesting. Uh, and that's that perfect example of having intuition. And I feel like so many business owners live on intuition or there's so many decisions that end up being made on just on intuition. And it's, uh, it, it's even in our business all the time, we're talking about, okay, well, let's, let's find someone who's done this before, before we just jump into it or let's, but that, that ability to actually query your customers sort of in real time and get this data is pretty attractive. Particularly from the customers you don't have yet. So yeah. it's, as, as you said, it's easy to understand your fans and to do what they tell you to do. And that will make you forever better and forever more loyal. Every great D2C company starts that way. But how to grow that, how to expand it, to take your authentic core, the thing that makes you you, but to apply it and change the flavor, change the color, change the core ingredient, put it in different places that suit those different places as best possible. That's the thing that data can help you discover. And that's the thing that we've made really easy. Amazing. What's your third example? I got to hear it. Oh, so there's a great British company called Gymshark. They yeah. do, uh, they make amazing athletic wear. Um, big unicorn company in Europe, growing very quickly in US and Canada as well. They clearly massively affected by the pandemic, lockdowns rolling through all of their countries, terrible things happening. And they thought, what can we do with this? Um, we're a D2C brand. We All of our gyms are shut. The opportunity to show off your coolest, newest gym gear has suddenly evaporated. What can we do that's useful to our target market? So they, they understood through a test to that people were looking for guidance, how to work out from home, but more, more than that, how to stay healthy from home. They, they could see Gymshark, this opportunity to be a source of information and truth and guidance, a thing that their brand stands for. So they created Gymshark dailies, uh, newsletters, content, suited to their exact target demographics and a few bits either side to help them at this time, to think about the products they need, to think about how to stay healthy at home when you can't go to the gym, when you shouldn't be buying so many products. Gymshark changed their role, same authenticity from the heart, but applied to this very different context. And it's by understanding very quickly and very rapidly and iterating ideas that Gymshark could take this context that was thrust upon them and turn it into a great asset. And this happens all across D2C world. There's something that shifts, a competitor enters the market, your supply chain vanishes, something becomes very cool overnight and you stock out before you've ever even realized. These things happen to us all the time. Consumers hold the answers to all of the opportunities and challenges. All we need to do is ask, and that's what a test is for. Nice. Uh, okay, so let's talk about data collection just in general for a second here. What are brands, what do you see brands doing wrong about data collection uh, in the D2C world? Well, I think there's there's not a lot of wrong when it comes to data and the more data you have, you're always happy. Um, there's just ways to add more right and to know more than other people do. So, 
you know, it's, it's easy to say that wrong is just to listen to your fans or your existing customers. In fact, the exact opposite is true. You should absolutely listen to them all the time. Do as much as you can. Type form, um, Google forms, all sorts of online intercom chat functionality. This is where you gather that whole CX and UX experience and turn it into your next waves of growth and perfection. But I always see that as kind of iterating on the core theme, you're honing your proposition, you're testing your newest ideas with your most loyal fans to figure out if they react to it. And that's kind of protecting and expanding the core. What's more valuable than that is to add new assets, new product lines, entering new segments, entering new markets, competing in new ways, unlocking new marketing funnels. These are the things that take us from a small D2C business or a new attacker brand, whether you're a big company starting something new or you're a small company trying to make it big for the first time. All of these things still apply to you. So I think the greatest opportunity when it comes to data collection is to add new data sources and to see things that others don't. And you can do things like research your competitors. You don't have to just research your own target audience. You can research the target audience. You can research the trend that other people are jumping on and try and apply your flavor to it. You can understand why consumers choose this brand and not your brand. You can put out unbranded ideas, things that are nothing to do with your company, just to speculatively find out if there's some kind of genesis of opportunity here, then apply your brand to it and see if people think that there's a match between those two. That's how you figure out, should I launch this as me? Should I launch a new sub brand? Should I apply the same thing that worked in Texas in Baltimore? These are the types of challenges that DTC brands come across all the time. And it's about adding data sources. The key then is to make it easy to act upon it, to share it with your team, to share it with the people who will do all the things to do with supply chain and fulfillment, to do with all the things about manufacturing, to do with all the things about brand and analytics and CX, all the decision makers across the business. And so we aim to bring all those people in to look at the data, to make it very easy to kind of query it and find things. And then there's a jumping off point that tells us what to do. Because we believe consumers hold all the answers, we make it easy to see that for anyone to visit. And that's the key. So I think it's less about doing data collection better and more about having more data, but being more confident to use it in more places. And that's kind of the secret of success that we're trying to give to many DTC businesses. I love it. And I think one of the easiest, you know, uh, applications for the technology is is going into new markets, going into new geos, understanding consumers who have different words for things, different expressions, different idioms, uh, different preferences. Um, you know, trying to launch a fanny pack in the UK would be different than it would be in the US, for instance. <laughs> Wanted to ask uh, where 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 are all your your attest responders, your customer responders? Where what what sort of uh, geographic coverage do you have uh, in in terms of this research? Yeah, we, we cover well over 100 million people in over 45, I think it's 49 different countries in 55 languages. So this becomes very useful if you are trying to expand within and across the US, within and across the UK, within and across Europe, from an Indian brand trying to understand mysterious Canadians, Americans and Mexicans and why they're different and they'll quickly discover why that exact type of thing you know you mentioned fanny packs to all the british listeners that's hilarious that means bum bag um to us british listeners not sure what is in is in canada it's probably a bit of both but we have a client um, <laughs> in manscaped who have this exact problem so manscaped american company west coast based i think the way that you talk about what manscaped does for anyone who doesn't know, it's a personal grooming product for men that cuts hair, but not on your head. Um, 
I'll leave that right there. But the way that you talk about this, that they've evolved in the US has a lovely kind of, it has a lovely fraternal style. It's very cheeky tone of voice that has a very high quality product, but the way they talk about it is a little bit, a little bit spicy, a little bit naughty. But how you translate that into French, German, English, Scotland, Wales, that's weird. It's really, really hard to do that. The same product, the same tone of voice, but in a completely different language where there's completely different terminology for the anatomy involved. That is a really hard challenge. And sitting in the US trying to guess this across Europe is impossible. Again, with the test, you could set that up in about three to five minutes. You would have the results the same day and you would find out that French people want, it to call, they want you to call it a a word I've never heard before. And there's the key to unlocking the French market. No one else yes. knows this, we know this, and suddenly there's the start of our campaign and we can do that tomorrow rather than over the next two years and hope. And customers are so uh, sensitive to authenticity, especially for such an intimate product as this, right? If, you, if you're gonna try to joke about someone's nether regions, you better have the right idioms uh, you know, for, for that area, or you're going to be exposed, you know, very quickly, I think. Right. And I, I just, I think it just sort of goes to how, how, to, how dialed in customers are right now. We, we have a, a UK client and we're, we're now creating, um, you know, different content for them. And, and they're just very specific about not wanting to see any of the big, bright American kitchens, uh, because, because apparently those don't exist as much in, in the UK. So there's just all these different sensitivities that you have to be aware of when you're kind of going into new, new geos that uh, having a tool like yours, I think would be, would be very valuable for. Um, yeah. And, and for European companies moving into the U S you know, people in the U S care a lot about 401k plans, just not an expression that anyone's heard in Europe. Um, it's not a thing, uh, yep. various sports stars, completely unknown, um, and vice versa. This is how you, you know, some very simple things that you can learn very quickly. If only you ask the target consumers you're trying to reach what matters to them and who they care about and how they talk, you can know these things sitting in your office today, right now, about the biggest gap in your knowledge. And that's the gift that we're trying to give at a test to DTC companies. Amazing. Okay, cool. Well, let's, let's, we won't go fully into it because I know we've got some other podcasts we're going to be doing, uh, you know, focused more on actual D D2C customers, you, you, you guys leveraging your amazing audience in order to create learnings about the, the sort of D2C evolution. You know, when I joined uh, this operation, it was March, it was the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, and as we say, we grew, you know, 10 months in, in or 10 years in 10 months. I remember looking at where e-commerce was in China uh, in terms of like a number of purchases made. I think it was somewhere around 35% at the start of the pandemic. I feel like, you know, North America was at around 15% and, you know, we've gotten up to 25%, whereas China is now up at, you know, even, even higher at this point. So there's still the trend for e-commerce, the, the, the trend of D to C has just been so fast and furious. Um, but I'm interested from, from your perspective, after having done this research in the D to C digest, which it sounds like you're going to be doing quarterly, which is really cool. What are some of the key learnings you've, you've sort of learned about the, the DTC movement, uh, you know, since the pandemic began? Yeah, we're looking at right now and trying to look forwards about what's happening and trying to look into the future and, and identify opportunities. So let's talk about US, then the UK, just to compare two markets, because it's always fun to look for the differences. So US, a few headlines. Online shopping increasing 
after the pandemic eases. So all demographics besides boomers plan to shop more online in the future. This I think is great news for DTC companies. There's been a lot of force fit to giant leap forwards of discovery, but that trend is here to stay, which is really exciting. Um, it's millennials that enjoy the DTC shopping experience most. 75% like shopping DTC, 90% are open to trying new brands and 40% are open to trying new product descriptions in 2021. 71% of those millennials agree that they generally prefer shopping online. So herein lies with the right authentic branding, the right products, this huge change in the market. There's a much greater propensity for success for D2C companies with online propositions that sell this way and offer these very customized, authentic and personalized products that you can choose yourself from much, much clearer range. And this whole channel and behavioral shift favors D2C. Brilliant time, but it's specific segments for specific reasons. Returning back to physical stores, women are much more likely to do that. 24% of men plan to increase online shopping, and only 9% of women uh, plan to increase shopping, online shopping even further. So like it's physical stores, women are much more likely to um, return to physical stores than men. But let's look at that the other way around. Let's look at how you win online. Marketplaces, particularly the DTC companies, becoming a huge, huge asset. So one of our clients, Maisonet, they're a wonderful marketplace for children's clothing and other things to do with children. They curate different DTC propositions and basically give them a wonderful shop window. If you're a mom or a dad and you're looking for these products, Maisonet is a great way to discover. Uh, part of the team who works there is ex-Birchbox, similar idea for trying, sampling, and then buying different beauty and personal care products. 69% of consumers in the US say that marketplaces help them to discover new brands, and 53% are more likely to try a brand through a marketplace. So this increasing is becoming the new department store, the new shopping mall, the D2C, online venues. Clearly they're very big businesses and they're very profitable and have big funding numbers and big margins. They're definitely taking a cut, but that's a great shop window, a great discovery platform for DTC companies to go from small to medium to big. But marketplaces are playing an increasing role. There's a whole bunch of uh, sub-themes in our DTC digest where we talk about the relative winners in terms of categories, the relative losers, the role of social media, who is more or less committed to e-commerce overall by age, by gender, by generation, things like that. But it's by understanding consumers and exactly where the tides are working for you and where the trends are working against you. This tells us where we can put our assets and where we can um, grow DTC companies to maximum effect. All of this is free. It's on our website. You can just download it, but there's a few snippets right there. That's um, askatest.com slash blog. Uh, make sure you go there and and grab this information. There's, I think there's a lot of stuff uh, sort of buried in, in here as well. One of the things that I'm really interested in, I was looking at the Oscar uh, ratings this year uh, and it went down from, you know, 21 million to 19 million last year to something like 9 million this year or something. So it's like a lot of these things that are traditionally holding people's attention are, are doing less so. So I'm really interested in the ways that brands and, and, you know, couple that with the fact that all the smartest brands that I know are also kind of low key trying to become media companies. Yeah. Um, and, and so I'm really interested and that might be a topic for the, for the next one. We can maybe do some research on, uh, on the content marketing of, of some of these brands. Cause I think there's a real opportunity for brands to connect with people because they're not connecting with some of the traditional things they used to. 
Yeah, I mean, those are really interesting things to research. My my wife is a big films fan and usually watches the Oscars. And um, she's been telling me her theories about why Oscar viewership is down. I won't show them here because, you know, subjectively, she's just one person, doesn't represent really anyone. No one person represents anything and her views aren't that interesting to everyone. The key is to have the reach to survey thousands of people in different markets by different ages, generations, preferences, people who cared about the Oscars before and don't anymore, people who've never cared about the Oscars before, but became part of that 9 million viewership for the first time this year. Who's winning, who's losing, and most importantly, why? These are the things that you can discover if only you can ask, and that's quite fun. Would love to research that, but I don't want to throw out ideas because I hate guessing and we just make it really easy to not guess. So let's do that one next time. I love it. Okay, that sounds great. Well, there is some more, there's more that we could dive into in this report, but I think we better leave it for people to digest themselves. Go to askatest.com, uh, download the digest. Uh, how do you suggest, just give us an idea of, of, of a, what kind of brands, you know, you're one of the things that we do on this podcast is we put our intentions into the universe and, and it's amazing the clients that we've been able to achieve on the agency side. So I, I'm just curious from your perspective, uh, who is it that you're looking for uh, to, to come on to a test? Who, who are the businesses that you, you think you can sort of uh, provide the most value for? So let's, let's talk about D2C. So I think any, any D2C company that has a gap in their understanding of their target market, something that you are missing that would help you grow faster that you wish you knew. We find that this is often large companies trying to get into D2C, trying to launch D2C companies for the first time, taking a traditional style product and applying a D2C business model to it, building new product and go-to-market models for products that are more D2C in style, learning how to do D2C well, learning what matters, the different buying factors. These are the things that larger companies need to discover to get better in D2C. The exact opposite is also true for smaller companies. If you're an attacker brand and you know, you've got a wonderful genesis of idea, a loyal fan base in your local area or with a specific buying need or a specific buying factor and they love you and you're wondering how do we scale this up? What do people want? Why won't they buy this? What do they buy now? And what aspect of what we believe in do they recognize as being the most valuable? These are the things that hold the keys to your success. And if you can know them, you can look into a crystal ball and predict the future. We can save you months, even years off of your growth trajectory. If only you can discover what those customers who are gonna make the choices you want them to make want and you can give them the right choice to make at the beginning rather than discovering painfully over the course of years. So we find it is companies like Manscaped, it is companies like Gymshark, um, it is companies like Maisonette and Birchbox. All of them are at different stages of evolution and they all have gaps in their understanding. They're all trying to grow something, perfect something, hone something, expand something. And a test we believe is the best way to plug those voids and fill those intuitions and dissolve the doubts with data from your target market because your target market knows what they want. All you need to do is discover and that's the bit that we've made easy. I love it. I, I the amount of times as an entrepreneur that I've sat in a in a business meeting and, and said, you know, these are these are what I this is what I think this is what I think our customers want, and the amount of times that people have said like, well, we got to ask them, we got to know. Uh, it, there's, I, I feel like these kinds of conversations happen in D 2 C and and startup businesses and and huge businesses everywhere. Uh, so it's pretty cool to have a tool, uh, and I can't wait to get on it. I, I know we're going to get on it on uh, on the D to C side as well, and and uh, and start start trying some surveys as well. So so very excited about that. Uh, so askatest.com, go there now. Any any closing words for, for 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 people? What you want them to do on the website? 
I think download our D2C Digest. Um, it's full of interesting things and we hope it helps you discover something new. That's why we're here and we give that away for free because we care and we want to help other businesses. Um, do get in touch and ask us things. There's plenty of different ways to learn more. And I'd love just to end on two sets of tips. So this is really lifting the lid and, and sharing some stuff I shouldn't, but why not? Um, we've discovered four big drivers for D2C in 2021. One, simplicity is the new luxury. The ability to give something, give somebody simple choices that suit them and the ability to get that in a way that they choose um, that suits them best. That is a new premium product. And we haven't really seen that before. Simplicity bespoke. Is Sounds like bespoke to me, which is one of my favorite bespoke words. Personalized. And I think it's not about making the the product bespoke, um, you know, naming or customizing ingredients. There's lots of great DTC companies that do that. This is about saying you want delivery on Tuesday mornings because that's the only day you're going to be at this address. We can do that for you. You want this product, but without, uh, but specifically with sustainable packaging, we can do that for you. Um, making it really simple to do what you want. I think second is a bit more of that. The ability to control the experience, deliveries, returns, rewards, referrals. But more and more, we see DTC companies built around personal values, plant-based tuna, emergency kits for families. These are some of the companies that have come into existence recently. And it comes from a place of authentic values that match with the target market. Translating that into new target markets and growing it is the hard bit. You need to discover how to take that genesis and put it in more places. But ability to control the experience and, and to build it around each target market, that's really important. Third, now is the time for virality, where people are working from home, moving locations. You know more and more, particularly online, about people who are like you or share interests or preferences or values. DTC business models are great at helping with that, at capitalizing upon it, helping you to network with your friends and potentially giving you a benefit for doing it. That's something to really play into for DTC companies. And if I was starting a DTC company today or building a new DTC proposition today, I would build around that very specific trend. Our target niches, our fan bases, try to hit many different fan bases, but give them this viral effect from a place of authenticity that gives them simplicity. And then the last one, particularly for new businesses, make the right choice around the ingredients. There are some choices in DTC business models that you can evolve. There are others that become irreversible very quickly. Your tech stack, your delivery partners, your branding assets, these things that take a lot of time to build and are quite irreversible. So the more you can understand upfront about how to be right, the better. And that's where we come in at a test. We'd love to help with that. And so put those four things together, simplicity, personalization and control, virality, and then knowing the right ingredients and which ones to really commit to upfront. This is the way to build a great DTC business in 2021 and beyond. And we'd love to help share more. Nice. I think on our next podcast, we could talk a little bit about word of mouth. Uh, that's something I see that, that's sort of been unearthed in all, as, as a key driver for growth for DTC brands. And all four of those things lend uh, you know, lend very directly to creating a product that has great organic growth, you know, by creating a great experience, by creating something personalized, you're going to be able to, uh, you know, be able to grow more through people wanting to share the product. And as ad prices continue to skyrocket and iOS 14 casts doubt on the ability to, you know, really grow your audiences the way you want to, having that organic word of mouth component to any D2C brand uh, seems like super critical uh, as well. So let's let's save that for, for perhaps the next podcast. I want to thank you so much for coming on today, Jeremy. Those four things, I'm sorry, you've already 
already said them, so we're going to have to put, write them up in the newsletter for the whole world to see. Uh, and uh, I think uh, there's a lot of great data there for people. So again, thanks very much. Pleasure to speak. Thanks so much. And right. see everyone.